too, right? And that's not new. Uh, and, and, uh, but a lot of people will pass blame on their sin uh, to God and say it's God's fault. Well, how do we know that? Because uh, the Bible warns us not to do it. Verse number 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. When it comes to the fact that God is not to blame for your sin, you need to understand that God's nature eliminates blame from him. The way that God is, how God exists, the nature of God eliminates the blame, the possibility of blame from God. Moral sins are committed because of a desire for wisdom or for power or for position, uh, something in those degrees, or simply just to satisfy a desire that we have. Those are when we commit sins. We commit those sins when we feel like we should have, uh, that we have the wisdom or the knowledge. When we desire some authority, when we desire some position, or when we desire just to fulfill a need, so to say, in our life. The result, the reality is, is that God already has all of those things. So he is not tempted to sin to acquire any of those things. He's already, his nature already has all power. His nature already has all knowledge and all wisdom and all ability and all everything. So his nature eliminates the blame of God for sin. God cannot sin. It says there in verse number 13 that he cannot be tempted with evil, uh, be drawn into, and we'll look at that word more in just a minute, into sin, and neither can he tempt someone else to sin. He cannot promote something that is in direct contrast to his nature. God cannot promote sin because it is directly opposed to everything that God is. So he's not going to tempt someone to sin. Uh, Our human mind, though, naturally blames someone else for our sin. It happens at a very, very young age uh, when the who did it immediately turns into not me. I didn't do it. You know, it's like the kid and you walk into the room and uh, the kid has marker drawings all over their face. They're the only ones in the room. There's marker drawings on the wall. And the parent exclaims, what did you do? And the child, who can barely form sentences, goes, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Who drew on the wall? That's the kid and the dog sitting in the, in the room. You know, the dog did. It wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. Looks like that was already there, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about you know, two-year-olds that are sitting here with this mindset going through, how can I get out of this? Uh, I've got to blame someone else for it. If you have siblings, more than likely you blamed your sibling for something that you did or maybe that you both did. But you try to pass the blame on to someone else. If you're in school, you try to pass the blame on to someone else. If you're in work, try to pass the blame on to someone else. It's natural for us to pass blame. Adam did it in the garden, did he not? As a matter of fact, Adam blamed God in the garden. When God confronted Adam, he said, The woman that thou gavest me. That's a pass on to God. God, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman, and let's be honest, you gave me her, so, I mean, whose fault really is it? We always try to pass blame. 
Today we hear the uh, comment from people who live a sinful lifestyle. They say, God made me this way. It's a little windy outside. <laughs> I'm saying what you want me to say. Um, that's the, that's the, the mantra we hear a lot. God made me this way. It can't be wrong. God made me this way. So there is the passing of blame onto God for their sins. Blaming God just adds another sin to the lecture. Uh, you can say it all you want, but all it's doing is adding up on your account. God's not at fault for your sin. God is not to blame for your sin. Now, God does allow afflictions or trials designed in our lives to grow us, to grow us in faith, to grow us in trust. But he does not send temptations. Uh, Satan is the tempter, and Satan does tempt. God does not send the temptations. He does, however, the Bible tells us, give us a way to escape any temptation that we receive. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So the Bible says that God is not the one sending the temptation, but he will not allow Satan to tempt you a temptation that you're not able to overcome with God's help. And so with every temptation that the devil gives, God makes a way for you to overcome. God makes a way for you to escape, is the word used in 1 Corinthians, that you may be able to bear it. God is not the one tempting you. God is not the one that brings on the temptation for sin. And God is not the one to blame for your sin. Because everything about God is the opposite of sin. There is no darkness in Him. There is no sin in Him. There is no imperfection in Him. He is blameless. And God is not to blame for your sin. God is the reason why you can overcome sin. God is the reason why you are forgiven if you seek forgiveness for sin. But God is not the one to blame for you, your sin. So that brings us to point number two. You are to blame for your sin. God is not to blame for your sin, but guess what you are? And I am to blame for my sin. The devil tempts us, yes, but the devil's not to blame for my sin. When I fail or when I fall, when I uh, 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 fall into that temptation, allow that temptation to take hold and, and, and have that sin in my life, it is not the devil's fault, it is not God's fault, it is not your brother's fault, it's not your sister's fault, your mom's, your dad's, anybody else's, it's your fault. Look in verse number 14, the Bible says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin... When it is finished, bringeth forth death. We see this method of sin, how sin happens. It says there in verse number 14 that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. To be holy, the Bible teaches us we have to flee from evil and hold to that which is good. So with sin, it's the opposite, right? It's to flee that which is good and to hold to that which is evil. The idea here of being drawn away with your own lusts. Uh, with sin, you're drawn away from that which is good. 
You're, you're, you're pulled away from it. The idea is forcibly compelled, drawn away. Forcibly compelled. How do you forcibly compel someone to do something? It's not a physical force. It is an emotional or a mental force. Forcibly compelled. The lust that is thrown in front of me, the temptation that is thrown on me, is a compelling temptation. Satan is smart. Um, we like to dress Satan up in a costume that makes him look goofy, but Satan is incredibly wise. He knows what your weaknesses are, and he goes after them. He knows what is going to uh, compel you to sin. And Satan here comes in and he draws you away. What does he use? Your own lusts. Satan doesn't try to draw you into what he wants. He tries to draw you into what you want. He tries to draw you into your own desires. To compel you into something that is naturally um, uh, satisfying for you. If you struggle with a sin, Satan is going to tempt you with that sin. He's not going to hit you with a different one. He doesn't have to outsmart you. (laughs) He's already smarter than you. And he comes in and he compels. He draws you away with your own lusts. And then it says there in verse number 14 as well, uh, not only his own lust, it says, and drawn away and enticed, the last two words of the verse, and enticed. Enticed means flattery and deceit. Who is more deceitful? than Satan. That's his nature. Just as God's nature is perfection and righteousness, Satan's nature is deceit. And so he's going to draw you away with your own lusts. He's going to compel you forcibly. He's going to entice you with flattery and deceit. Hey, that's not going to be that bad. Right? That's what he did with Eve, is it not? He deceived her. What did God say? Oh, that's not really what happens. He does the same thing in our own life. Flattery, man, he'll just pump you up. Hey, if you do this, you'll know everything that God knows. Hey, if you do this, you'll finally be seen as that that authority figure. Hey, if you do this, the world will see you as successful. Hey, if you do this, whatever it may be, flattery and deceit. And it's part of this method of sin, drawing away, believing a lie, Verse number 15, allowing these steps 1 and 2 to happen, it says in verse number 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When you give the temptation some life, that's when sin comes. You have very little time when the temptation comes to make the decision, are you going to fall for it or not? As soon as that enters your heart, as soon as that enters your mind, you have to quickly make the decision, I am going to flee from this as opposed to hold to it. I know I'm being compelled. I know there is flattery and deceit involved here. But when the lust is conceived, bring forth life. That's when it becomes real. The temptation, being tempted is not a sin of yourself. 
Now, you might do other things that cause the temptation or that allow the temptation more open room. There's issues there, no doubt. But to be able to, to come to this moment where you realize when I'm tempted, I'm not guilty of that temptation, so to say. I'm guilty if I let that temptation take hold in my life. And when that lust is conceived, now it has life. And now it's sin. Now it's on me. And the ending of this method of sin is there in verse number 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. The path of sin is destruction. Nothing positive comes from sin. And to understand that, that I am to blame for my sin, first of all, is the most important thing I can understand is it's, my, it's, it's on me. I'm responsible for the things that I do. But to understand as well that when I sin, there is a result of that sin that is very, very bad. Now remember, we talked about this when we talked about Adam and Eve, but uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, if you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And we know, hopefully we know now uh, for sure, because we've, we've heard it said, but uh, we know that when Eve ate of the fruit, and when Adam ate of the fruit, they didn't drop dead, right? But now what happened is, is, is there, there became an ending point for them. We talk about death symbolizing and being separation from God. Yes, that is true. But at that moment, before they ate the fruit, Adam and Eve did not have an ending point. But when they ate the fruit, now death came upon them. They had spiritual death, where hell was now a place they were destined for without God's redemption. They had a, an ending point in their physical life that was going to happen. They had separation from God as a result of it as well, a spiritual death included. And so you bring all this in together, and the reality is a sin still brings forth death. It hasn't changed. From the first sin to my sin this morning, it hasn't changed. Sin brings forth death. Sin, when it is finished, when it is fulfilled, when it is completed, bringeth forth death. And for some reason, we as Christians kind of skim over that. Maybe it's because we know that God says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe it's because we understand that that eternal death has been taken care of when we were saved. But it does not change the fact that the sins that I commit today, until they are forgiven, bring forth a form of death. We talked about it in 1 John, the separation that we face from God when we're not living obediently to what God has for us. Every sin I commit has a consequence. Every unforgiven sin in my life today is causing destruction in my life today. And the same is true for you. And I can pass the blame all I want. I can, I can blame God if I want to. God, it's not my fault. You didn't make me strong enough. God, it's not my fault. You didn't bless me in this area and it drove me to this. God, it's not my fault, it's hereditary. God, it's not my fault, it's whatever. 
You can blame whoever you want to. It does not change the fact that no one else is going to take the blame for your sin. Just because you say it's someone else's fault doesn't mean it is. At the end of the day, you answer for your sins. And until they're forgiven, it's leading you to destruction. Because sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Lastly, let's look at the more positive note. That will kind of get us into the rest of our messages throughout December. That God is the Father of all good. God is not to blame for your sin. You are to blame for your sin. God is the Father of all that is good. Look in verse number 16. He says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not wander from what is right. Do not stray from what you know is the best thing, the right thing to do. Do not err. But then what does it say in verse number 17? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let's look at a couple things in this verse and then we'll be done today. First of all, we need to see that God is unchanging. There is no variableness in Him, neither a shadow of turning. You think about light, right? It says that God is the Father of light. Think of light and what light can do with movement. Shadows, right? Shadows change depending on the angle of the light. I know very little about science, but I know this much. God is an unmovable, unchanging light. There is no change within Him. What He is, is what He is. What He is, is what He will be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. So if God is the Father of all that is good, to know that God is unchanging is to know that God will always be to me that which is good. To know that, that He will never change into something that is bad, that He will never change into something that is wrong, that He will never change into something that will lead me the wrong path, but that He is unchangeable, and as the Father of all that is good, He always will be the Father of all that is good. The Bible uses the picture of light and darkness as a picture of good and evil, right? Um, and God is, is light, in Him is no darkness. God is light, the Bible tells us several times. And the idea that if we are of God, if we are in God, then we are in the light versus in the darkness. The Bible talks about the importance of being able to see with the light that God provides in what would else be a very dark, dark life. So God, being the Father of light, which shines on us, He is the Father of all that is good. He provides for us the light so that we can see. He provides for us everything that we need. He is unchanging. That's a wonderful thing to know. But then He says here that uh, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, or is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, which is God. I want to look at these, these, two, these two ideas of good gift and perfect gift. The word gift is actually two different words in the Greek. They're not the same word, which is intriguing to me. And again, it, it, it kind of shows you that the English language has been 
uh, wonderfully, might I add, dumbed down for us, uh, for us to be able to grasp certain things and not make too difficult on us. But in the Greek, two different words are used in here. Good gift, the word gift there is dosis, which doesn't matter to most, a uh, Greek word there, but it shows the, uh, uh, the initiatory stage of the gift, the, the giving of the gift. So it's that, that the, 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 the day that you get it. It's that initial uh, handing over of the gift. When you receive that gift, uh, that immediate um, good that comes with it, right? Uh, have you ever gotten a gift for no reason whatsoever? You haven't. You could say that you have, but you haven't. Uh, there's always a reason behind the gift. No one gives you a gift unless there's a reason for it. But nonetheless, uh, when you're not expecting it, let's put it that way. Have you ever received a gift when you weren't expecting a gift? And without even opening the gift, there is immediate joy. There's immediate happiness that comes with it. Man, I just got a gift. Now, have you ever been fooled and someone said, hey, I got you a gift, and they handed you something and it wasn't a gift? Hey, I got you a gift. You take it, you've been served. Okay, that was not a great gift. Um, that's not what I was hoping for. Uh, or, hey, I got you a gift. And you're like, oh, all right. And they hand you a piece of trash to throw in the garbage can. I grew up at a place that was emphasized, pick up trash when you see trash. And so when someone said, I have a gift for you, and they reached their hand out like this, you knew it wasn't a gift. There was nothing good coming out of whatever is inside that hand. And more times than not, it was a piece of trash to throw away. So there you go. Um, but every good gift, every gift that is given, every good gift, uh, that, that word good means good, right? It is, it is what it is. Um, but it's in contrast to verse 15, right? Verse 15 says, uh, And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So that initiatory lust brings forth sin. The initiatory gift brings forth good, the good gift that God gives. Perfect gift, a different word uh, pronounced, I believe, dorema uh, in the Greek. Again, it doesn't matter to most. Uh, but it is the completed gift. In contrast, again, to verse 15, when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The perfect gift, the fulfilled gift, the completed gift, the end gift is what God gives. And when it is finished, it brings forth good. God gives us so many gifts, and we're going to look at several of them throughout the next couple of weeks. We can look at the greatest gift that God gave in salvation, and we will. We can look at the spiritual gifts that God gives to Christians, and we will. We can look at daily provisions and daily gifts that God gives. We can look at material gifts. We can look at uh, spiritual, not the spiritual gifts that we're talking about in Scripture, but spiritual uh, gifts that God gives. The, we can look at all these things that God gives to us, but we have to understand something with all these things, that every good gift and every perfect, completed gift is from God. He's the one that gives it to us. We take credit for so much of what God does in our life. We work hard. If you, if you went to school to get a degree, as long as you got the degree, at some way, shape, or form, you worked hard for it. C's get degrees. You still got to work for C's, I can attest. 
you know, but so we get this degree, and then with that degree, we think, boy, look what I did. And then we go out and get a job, and, and we think it's a result of all my hard work has gotten me this job. And I don't mean to minimize the importance of hard work because God teaches us it's important to work hard. But we begin at a very early stage in life to take credit for the things that God provides for us. I get that promotion. Well, it's because I worked hard. It is. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm telling you, it's from God. Oh, we purchased this house. It's because I've worked hard and saved my money. Yes, that plays into it, no doubt, but it's from God. Uh, the gift of children, it's, it's from God. The tax return at the end of the day, it's from God. And we go through all these different things in life and we begin to look at them and we begin to, to see and rationalize how I earned it, how I did it, how I accomplished it, how I deserved it. But every good gift is from God. And we can look back, especially the older we get, and we see the things that we've accomplished. And we say, look what I did. Every completed gift is from God. The result of anything good in my life is a result of something that God did for me. I've been very blessed in my life, the upbringing that I had, the parents that I had, the grandparents that I had, the education that I got, the churches that I was in, the college that I went to, the jobs that I've gotten. Man, I've been really blessed. And I can look back and say, man, I did this and I did that and I did this. Now, granted, me graduating college was a pure miracle. <laughs> but but uh, needless to say, it's a gift from God. And that's not to say that if someone wasn't raised the way that I was raised, that that means... Nope, they didn't get anything from God. God uses the situations in your life to bring you to Him, to draw you closer to Him, to teach you how to trust Him. There are kids who grew up in, in a, in a non-Christian home. Does that mean that they had no hope for anything in life? No. <laughs> the same God that I serve is the same God that they serve. People that grew up in public school. Does that mean there was no hope for them? No. God used their experiences and taught them and grew them and stretched them and drew them closer to Him, helped them see battles and victories over things that I never, never got to see, at different battles and different things that I had to overcome. Do you have to go to a Christian college? For my kids, yes, but No. Because God can use anything, and God will just, God will tell you what He wants you to do, right? And you just got to do it. If God says, quit this job and go to this job, you should do it. If God says, don't take that job, stay where you are, you should do it. If God says, 
send your kid to this place or, or do this thing with your kids, then do it. And if God says don't, then don't. It's, it's actually pretty simple. It's about obedience. And we obey God when we understand God. Now, we should obey God even when we don't understand God, but the reality is most of you are like me. We obey God when we understand God. And we say, God, what should I do? And God says this, and you go, ah, it doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? That doesn't look like it could lead to what this could lead to. And God says, do this. Every good gift comes from God. And those things that God says do this when I don't understand it, that's that good gift, that initiatory gift. And God says, here, this is for you, take it. And then we get to see the end result as sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. The perfect gift, the completed gift, the good gift, when it is finished, it brings forth so much more. You have the blessings, you have the satisfaction, you have the fulfillment, you have the care and the provision and all these things that come along with it. But you don't experience that perfect gift unless you receive that gift from God. Has God used or turned an individual's mistake into something positive? He has. Um, many times over, I think we see it in the scriptures, I think we see it in personal illustrations, all these other things. We do wrong. We don't listen to God. We disobey God. And we finally get to the point in our life where we realize, I disobeyed God. So we go to God and say, God, I sinned. Please forgive me. Lord, what, what now? Samson is a great illustration of this, right? We'll look at it in Sunday school in a couple months. But Samson is a great illustration of this. God, God used Samson to deliver the people to judge the people, all these sorts of things. Samson was a pretty, pretty bad person. Um, there's a lot in Samson's life that was just not good. And there was a moment that Samson stood before God with his eyes plucked out, doing the job of a mule, and he says, God, if just this one more time, you'll give me the strength that you've given me in the past. And God granted that. And God used, even in spite of Samson, He gave Samson a perfect gift. And Samson's perfect gift, as much as you read the story, you may not think this way, ended in Samson's happiness. And for the first time, I believe, well, the first time that we read about, the first time that we see and Samson's life was a moment of that completeness that God offered him. Whereas before, Samson thought it was neat to do the things that he did. And he was pretty well known and he accomplished a lot of things and all these sorts of things. But Samson was always looking for more. And he allowed that sin, that temptation to draw him away into his own lusts. And it led him to death and it led him through a, a very, honestly, a miserable life. You look at, look at Samson's life. He, um, he had Delilah and, he, and he, he, he loved or liked Delilah. And 
you don't see a happy person in Samson with Delilah. There's not. There's always this little game going on, but, but at least I, when I read the story of Samson, I just see him searching for some kind of joy. And I believe he finally found that joy with the completed gift of God. And he got that, sadly, he waited till the end of his life to get it. It wasn't God's fault. It was Samson's fault. And God today says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from Him. So why are you rejecting His gifts? Why do you keep thinking, well, but this gift looks pretty good too, even though it's not from God. Even though it's not what God wants from me, this still looks pretty good. I'm going to go with that. Because we can see where that gift, we think, leads to. But if it's not from God, it's not a good gift. And it's going to lead down a very dangerous and hurtful path. So the gift that God offers you, whatever it is, take it. Obviously starting at salvation, but all the way down the line, God's going to be offering you a gift. You've got to understand, if God's offering it to me, it's good. And if God's offering it to me, it will be perfected, completed, Fulfilled. And it's being offered to me by a God who has never been wrong. <laughs> he's unchangeable, so he's not going to be wrong. To a God who's never been bad or evil, he's unchangeable, so he's never going to be bad or evil. It's given to me by the Father of all that is good. So take it. Take what God offers you and know that it's going to be the right thing. Know that it's going to be the best thing. Know that it's going to be a good thing. Lord, I pray for your help this morning.